Okay, well, there's no reason to count us in because we're live. And we are uh, right now on episode four, technically, of the Bucket Seat Podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Byrne, and I'm uh, extremely happy to have my guest today, Leif Sorensen, here. Uh, it's been a long time coming, but uh, I'm happy to finally have you on the show. And uh, I think what we'll do is um, we'll kind of start off on uh, on a different note because my last episode had me ending off in Tokyo, which is pretty cool. Um, I'd just done a, an interesting run of uh, the new Subaru Impreza on a really cool private secret, top secret test track. It was wild and crazy. Um, and... Um, this time we're going to talk about something totally different, which I'm fascinated with and I'm so uh, enamored with you on is uh, the ability for someone to come to Toronto that was originally in Calgary, right? Right. Um, and open a dealership here in Toronto. So um, what I want to do is just say thank you and welcome for coming. Welcome to the show, uh, Leaf. Thank you for coming. Um, you. Sitting thank here in my uh, the back half of my house and doing this podcast all nice and, you know, ghetto and bucket. <laughs> thank you for having me. Uh, you know, accommodations suiting. I, I, I have to say I'm, I'm a huge fan of the of the original uh, blog. I, I used to read your blog on the internet, and you know any any anyone who's as big a wagon fan as I am, I'm, I'm very happy to have a conversation somewhat related to cars with you. I appreciate that. Yes, from one wagon lover to another. Um, so yeah, um, we don't have uh, my my trusty co-host here today, Josh Hansen, but he's here in spirit, and he was very excited this was happening tonight. So. Um, why don't we just get right into it? Because I think the interesting part about this whole story for you and for me and for our listeners on this is going to be what it takes to start a dealership. Um, there aren't very many people that have done it. Um, and I think in a lot of the cases that we do hear of this, they are people who have either inherited a dealership, people that have um, kind of walked into it as a, you know, of, of course, as a part of, a, of of another business venture or family. Right place, right time kind of stuff. Right, right. And you kind of, yeah, I think you kind of debunked the myth that, you know, dealers pass through, dealerships pass through families with the way that you've done this. Um, and if I could, I'd like to ask if you could maybe just kind of start from the beginning and tell us about what it was that you did to get to where you are now you know, spare no expense and time on it and help us all to understand what it takes for someone to be as dedicated um, and persevere as long through what I imagine this process was to get to you, uh, to get you to owning and operating a dealership here in Toronto. And, you know, I, I uh, appreciate you having me on it. It, I will say that there is a, there is a, and there is a, a barrier to market for a lot of people, but as I learned, it's maybe it's maybe not as 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 high as what a lot of people might think. Uh, you you and, and it probably goes back to the saying: if you know how to do something well, you don't tell other people how to do it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to break that rule here. I appreciate that. Fill you in a little bit on my insight. Uh, and my insight, for whatever it's worth, I, I was I was just a a, a a member of an industry who. Uh, who always who always had a couple good assets to 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 my name and uh, did my best with what I what I had, and I tried to get somewhere with it. And you know, I, I guess I would put it this way: each step I took was always a different step. But uh, I'll start a little bit with 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 a, my bio. I started out in high school. I 
cleaned cars. I changed oil. It was a good after-school Saturday job. Uh, following following that, I, I didn't really know what I was doing. I ended up going to school. I, I, I went to school with uh, the Trevor of, of, of the <laughs> podcast. Uh, we, we, we go back a little further than a few years. And I got through school. I didn't really know what I wanted to do coming out of that. And I started selling cars. And I, I always tell people, this isn't the first time I said it, I found selling cars after you learn the process, because like anything that uh, someone has to learn, they're, they're, it's uncomfortable to learn things and it's hard to get there. But then once you've learned it uh, and, and you've excelled at it, uh, it's easier. And I found kind of like playing video games with your buddies. You did that? Yeah, very fair. I did, yes. When, when you play video games with your buddies, you always I used to always revert to the original Tekken or Gran Turismo video game because I was good at them. And <laughs> I liked playing video games. I was good at it. It was reassuring everything else. And like anything, operant conditioning, you know, positive reinforcement always makes something more enjoyable than what it might be without it right right so uh i i i gathered experience i guess you could say for for the the start of my career um and i'm a millennial i'm a as we were talking i'm, I'm at the top side of of you know, just just before i think it was generation y ended and you know generation millennial as they call it uh started to succeed right um i was i was i was one of those described as uh, eager, eager to excel and eager to uh, find my promotions. Um, I was, I was never lucky enough to be promoted within a company. Although I'm sure that with the way that things were set up, I probably would have got promotions because I was always, I, I had, I had two assets, and I'll, I'll, I'll slow down and say maybe the two things that you need to have to exceed in, in anything. I think are you have to have a will to learn and you have to have a work ethic, and not just I suppose a work ethic, but you have to have a, a the desire not to work for what you're paid for, but to work to grow something. And I always saw it as, you know, what if I learned this and I experienced this this level of my career in the right way, it would better prepare me for what I'm going to do later. And I think that 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 philosophy transcended just myself and people I worked with noticed it. I, I would, I, I mean, in car sales, if you've ever worked in car sales, working long hours does lead to success. It's not an eight hour a day job. It's, it's, you're there, you're there to pull the, pull the cart when it's ready to be pulled. Right. I mean, there's a, there's a certain level of commitment that you really, that you were committed to. You had to actually sit back, understand what it was that you were trying to accomplish uh, and then work your way into a rule that I think you probably saw a long time ago for yourself in terms of, you know, owning and operating a dealership. You're, you're yeah. And, and, you know, you, like being a young guy growing up in this industry, I looked at some of these, uh, these, these kids of dealership owners that were working with their dads and they lived, for lack of a better term, like a baller lifestyle. Like they drove <laughs> beautiful cars. They had money. Right. They went on wonderful right. trips. I worked with I worked with a girl. Her dad, and you know, she was she was she was a good good worker. She was a good general manager. But uh, her dad had a sailing team that raced on the Discovery Channel. She would go participate on sailboat. I was just like, wow. holy crap! Like that would be the coolest thing ever. Uh, right. She she had it good, and and it's because you know a lot of these people they were they were in a good time and place and. You know, as you get to the upper levels of, I think, any industry, uh, you you tend to stop having to stretch your knowledge so much uh, and, and and apply your your work ethic, as you can just sit and rest on your laurels. Which I'll, I'll bring that one full circle because I think that that's that's where a lot of uh, that, that's that's where I succeed a lot is capitalizing on people resting on their laurels. But these people, they they're working their six hours a day, four days a week, maybe five. <laughs> and they rest on their laurels and, and uh, not not to, to knock them, but from the position they were in, they had good people around them and they always had, mm -hmm. they always had, you know, 
their things happening with their dealerships they, they would they would have promotions going on and they would have success the dealership would be selling they didn't they didn't need to start tearing stuff apart and i always looked up to these people in these positions and thought like man that's a that's a cool job that's I, a pretty cool life to be able to see or be exposed to right yeah yeah i, I could do that uh i could do that i could i could take it but so, what i think i'm sure you're probably going to get into is the fact that to establish that yourself is a pretty big step from what they were doing well, I'll get back. I'll get back to barriers to entry, um, and and like any any high performance sales related industry, uh, it is cutthroat to a certain extent. There's individuals in every every level that want the same job you want above you, and separating yourself becomes something you have to think about because if you just if you just watch the people who succeed and try to replicate what they do. You'll never do something that gets noticed. Maybe you will because you'll you'll do it better than they will. But if you if you find what you're good at and where where you succeed, you'll you'll do well with it. And um, I I, uh, I I guess uh, when I finished school, I ended up as a service advisor for a period of time. Uh, the same dealership had uh, moved me into the sales department because I, I talked too much. Uh, <laughs> I, I wasn't I wasn't that kind of quiet service service side. And, and as a reference to all you folks listening, the service department's kind of the, the less personable department. You get the, the people who are more technically minded and uh, a little bit little bit softer vocally. Uh, and then the sales department, you obviously get the, the other side of that. We have to be talkers and think on our feet. So I, I, I got moved into sales and I naturally, I, I found a... I Sorry, found hang a, on. So this was in, uh, is this going back into Calgary? This is back into Calgary. Okay. And you were at, what what, what store were you? I mean, you don't have to say what store in particular, but what brand were you working for at that point in time? I started out uh, I started out working with, uh, the dealership I'm talking about in, in service and sales was a Chevy dealership on the south end of Calgary. Okay. Uh, so pretty, I, mean, I imagine pretty high volume, you know, as a domestic dealer in, the, you know, in Alberta, that, that's probably a pretty pretty high traffic dealer yeah well, i mean they, they weren't they weren't huge volume there was a couple dealers that would do um 100 to 150 cars a month uh as, as a chevy dealer as a standalone it was it was a saturated market this was before the general motors uh, okay uh, what they called the pink slip days where they, they canceled some dealers in 2009 okay post-recession uh they were middle of the road we were doing about 50 to 60 new cars and 30 35 used cars every month uh, respectable volume for a for a, a small store on on the south end, um, and actually I learned I learned a lot for them because the big volume dealers aren't always the ones that make money. And, and you know, if you want to be a dealership owner, knowing how to make money is where you will get noticed. Right, that's that's yeah. the one thing yeah, of that course. you know cuts you cuts you from from the rest of the pack and and separates you is, is if you know how to perform and do your job, which the only way your boss will ever measure it is by making money in any <laughs> yeah. case, making money right. Right, right. I'm sure, that's how my wife measures me too. <laughs> I did, I did retail sales there. I did it for a little while, and uh, mm -hmm. I, 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 I knew someone at another dealership. I, I was offered a, uh, I'll call it a promotion, but it wasn't really a promotion. It was into fleet management. Anyone from the car industry who knows the fleet side of things, it's kind of a, a, a stale regular job i got to work bankers hours nine to five and i did that for about a year until i realized that if i worked a little bit harder i could make more money being on the floor and i got back into being on the as i recall the floor or the sales floor of a dealership because that's where kind of where the fun side is and for someone like me who 
I, I liked it because you know I, I would do well with it. Uh, mm-hmm. It was reassuring. Mm-hmm. And I did that for a little bit uh, until I, I knew a, a gentleman who, uh, and, and when I keep saying I knew someone and then I moved and I knew someone, I knew <laughs> the car business is the most incestuous industry yeah, Absolutely. I've, I've ever heard about or experienced. Uh, every, everyone, it, once you get good at it, you build this set of talents and it seems like it's universally applicable. So you end up at one brand to the next and everywhere you work, you'll always have someone that you've you've known or known of that you work with. True, and then, then they recognize you for having true salesmanship abilities, right? Yeah, totally. So I'll speed up and I, I was okay. in this take, job. Take your time, take your time. I was, I, was in, I was in this job and I started to think, you know, I, I started spinning my tires. It was at the point, at the end of my fleet manager job, I started noticing, you know, I'm making my boss a lot of money uh, you know, every every time I make more money, they look at my pay plan and they try and find a way to, you know, put a carrot in front of me to try and make more money to make the same money that I was making technically before. And I would do better and better and better. And I thought, you know what, I need to get into, I don't, I don't want to do the retail end of things, retail selling. It is a great job for a lot of people. And, and there's a lot of people who retire and they retire with their, they retire with a decent nest egg from it because they've, they've spent their money wisely. Uh, but the, the problem I had with it is I, 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 you know, wanted to start creating a lifestyle and not that I would do it in my next step, but I knew that if I ever wanted to have a lifestyle where I was, I was going to be one of those who could rest on my laurels and, and, and teach what I know to people who could do the legwork for me, it wasn't going to be at that level. So I took it. I took a job in in management. Uh, I was offered a job as a pre-owned sales manager with a local BMW dealership in Calgary. There's only two of them. This was the smaller of the two, and uh, it was it was a very interesting for for me and any natural car guy. A pre-owned car manager is is absolutely the best job you can get, especially <laughs> at a luxury store. Yeah. Basically, I got to look through. I do what I do anyways, and look through the internet and look for. BMWs that I thought were good value and were clean and I could sell them to people and I would I would look in source cars and then I would work with salespeople working deals and it was it was just it was my utopia I could have done that job forever so hang on sorry we'll pause on that for a minute so explain uh, explain that that role that specifically when you're saying you were looking for cars like as a, as a used car sales manager the BMW side Calgary hot market when when you were there especially um because what would that have been how many years ago that would have been 2009 okay I so, started with that. so yeah good time in calgary for sure uh now when you're doing that and you're talking about being able to kind of do everybody's dream job that it's a car guy look at used cars look at what's out there what's hot what, what makes sense in terms of being able to resell were you out there buying those cars or or how did that how did that work i mean when you found something if you were looking online like, did you actually bring those into the dealership or how does that all work for the for the most part um there there would always be i would keep about five percent of my stock because in, in calgary and at a luxury dealer if i could find clean low mileage vintage cars and i could bring them in right uh, there is a little bit higher profit side if you have an eye for it. Like if you, if you, I'm sure Trevor, you're on the uh, bringatrailer.com email. Yeah, yeah. you know it's it's funny. That's a that's a recurring topic on this show that I try not to I try not to promote them too much because every time we talk, we always come back to bring a trailer. Uh, I mean, I have, and you know, this episode two was all about a vehicle we sourced and brought in for Bring a Trailer. Oh, so we'll try to keep the staff. promo for them to a, to a minimum. But at the same point, it's um, yes, I absolutely do. I know exactly what you mean, and um, it's one of those places where you can find some pretty special things. It is. I mean, I just like it because you can you, you you see you know someone's pet that they've kept, and 
in in a, in a in a I mean the used car manager role for the most part I would source cars from either local clients who are trading them in uh, BMW channels like uh, like lease returns that we could buy exclusively okay. first right from BMW yep. Canada yep. That first makes sense. Uh, and then there would always be you know one thing used car managers don't think of a lot is I'd just look on the auto trader and I'd find something clean that I knew there's always certain units uh, when when I first started uh, the V10 M5 was mm. a very quick seller in Calgary that. Right. Car had a lot of anti and, and it should have, right? Of course, V10 yeah. rear wheel drive, Gorgeous, yeah. you know, dynamic damper suspension. The, the seats would hug you from the sides if you turned the steering wheel. There's just something to that that just said, like, I'm, I'm a little faster than your Honda Accord. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's um, with that, um, you must have seen a, I mean, without derailing the progression of your story. I mean, you really must have seen some interesting customers come into the store in Calgary just because of and, and this may be a, a misconception, but I feel like it's probably pretty accurate is the clientele in Calgary probably tend to have a bit more disposable income. And even if they don't have more disposable income, they happen to have uh, a bit of a penchant for things that were a bit more expensive or a bit more noticeable or a bit more ostentatious than in maybe a lot of other cities in, in, in the country. Oh, definitely. Uh, Calgary at that time was the highest uh, average average income, uh, and I think it was the highest, the average income in Calgary was over $100,000, which was very closely followed by Toronto and wow. Vancouver. So wow. they were actually the highest average income you can make in all of Canada was in Calgary, and that might be a, a local stat to some point, but point is Calgary was there. Right. And you would get some of these individuals that they were, they were professionals. They move around the world and work in different oil markets. That's what Calgary did well with. Okay, and yeah, that's a, that's important to know that it is. I mean, a lot of it. I mean, the misconception isn't that uh, it's all about oil money. Like it really was all about oil money. But there's businesses that follow that. I I had a I had a uh, a friend who worked with a company called Arc Financial, and and they're they they're an investment firm. But their portion of the investment firm in Calgary was related more to finding junior oil field companies to invest in. And uh, it brought a lot of wealth. So you'd get a lot of people with, with lots of money, lots of time to read the internet right. and find their dream car. Right. Uh, we've all done it. These people execute it. That was the <laughs> difference. Uh, they, would, they would come in and about the matter. I, I remember um, my, my second month on the job, I had a guy come in and he traded in a 2005 E46 M3. It was it was beautiful. It was like a dark blue, oh, man. red leather seats inside of it. Uh, one downfall, tiny the Purist, is had the SMG transmission, which mm -hmm. is actually mm -hmm. really fun to drive. But your manual always hold up more. This guy, this guy came in, saw the car. It was very low mileage, and he just basically paid me what it was worth to get it. Uh, and that's when I kind of figured out that you'd, you'd bring some of this stuff in if it was clean enough, right. and rare enough. Someone will always buy it, right. My boss didn't agree with that because in the car business, it's about turning your money and sometimes these vintage pieces wouldn't do that, but it also created a halo effect. For of the course. Start. I mean, people see these vintage pieces and they think you have, you have your, your, your stuff together. They think you know what you're looking at and then know what you're talking about. Right. And would you find that, it, that in that market at that time, you were really appealing to a lot of customers that really knew their shit. Like they really knew a lot about BMW. Or were you talking about people that came in that just wanted to be a fast BMW and they knew it was expensive? Definitely. Yeah, I, I, I tell people this all the time, but I, 
I I I got to relive someone's dream every time I would buy one of these cars because it literally would show up at the store. I would drive it. I would enjoy it. And then I'd put it on the lot with a full detail and a tank of gas Amazing. and someone would come buy it. So, I mean, for me, I'm living the dream of these people who are coming in. I just get to do it more frequently than they do. Right. Um, and, and and you know what? Because cause I enjoyed it. And I think everyone says, do something you like and you'll do well with it. Right. Uh, everything do what you love, follow. love what you do. Yeah, it's the old adage. And I, I can completely relate to that. It's it's kind of why I'm doing this. Um, okay. So, so uh, I, I spent some time on that. Um, thank you for elaborating on who it was that you were actually dealing with and actually what you were doing at the time. So now let's keep going in terms of what, so you've, been there that was your bm those were your bmw days as used car sales manager in calgary where'd you go from there um that was a that was a that was a short year that i worked at that dealership okay. uh, it was for a large dealer group that starts with a d uh, i won't say their <laughs> name on the air but i have a lot of uh love and respect and they, they were a mentor to me uh, i spent a short year there before the owner of both the bmw stores noticed me and and and, and I'll, I'll go back and say again you know, he noticed me because I loved what I do. I showed up excited every day and I brought positivity to a role. And that was probably the most important lesson that I learned going through that. I, I carried that creed through the rest of my career because I, I then went on to the larger BMW retailer in Calgary. We held the title of the largest luxury retailer in Western Canada for a number of years, wow. three of the four years that I ran the store. Uh, I shouldn't say run ran the store as a general manager, but when I say run the store, I mean, I ran the sales department. and. To anyone who is in a car store, when you're running the sales department, you really are pushing the lifeblood of a store. Yeah. Uh, you see the customers for the first time, and and you either you they start off with the brand. Uh, you're introducing them to their their car, their first car, their second car with the brand, and uh, you get to know everyone, even the service customers. I would walk over and see service customers That's regularly. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, I, I I I enjoyed my job a lot when I did that. It was my dream job. I I, I got to see cars shortly after I read about them in magazines that. I don't know that anyone wouldn't have turned down wanting to at least sit in and feel the steering wheel, right? Sure. And I, I'm sure the inventory that you saw come through the store too must have been pretty spectacular. It's not like a, you know, it's it's not like a, um, like a, you know, what I would say is maybe a more typical cosmopolitan, you know, metropolitan, sorry, not cosmopolitan, uh, typical metropolitan city that has, you know, I'm sure, a couple of really special cars in their showroom. Um, when you get to Calgary, I mean, shit it just seemed like if talk about boomtown you've got so much disposable income you've got some really special cars you've got two dealerships competing in the same market and now you're the gm of this of this store that is you know you're you're clearly pushing some good volume but also some really special cars definitely i mean the, the cars are something i could talk to on blue of the face but i mean i suppose some of the, the more special give us give us are, like the top two top two most sorry the most special cars that you that you delivered under your tenure? Well, I mean, in my in my tenure, BMW didn't have a lot of special product releases, but there were certainly a number of clients with uh, BMW Z8s. We had a we had a client uh, who had a, a BMW, I think it was a 1991 
E30 M3 uh, yeah. evolution that he imported straight out of Ireland. Oh had, my God. had 30,000, I think it was, kilometers on the car. Uh, super rare car and, yeah. and in mint condition. It wasn't in mint condition when he had brought it over. It was low mileage, but he had it completely refurbished. And he would just drive this car in on the weekends sometimes because if he pulled up at our store, there would be a crowd of people, technicians, salespeople sure. just looking at it. Sure. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was probably a, you, fun. you know that you just dropped like the, the podcast porn with the e30 reference and with this guy with a low kilometer e30 oh, um God. it's just it you know they're th- these are the stories that obviously the guys in california are like oh yeah we see it. these are a diamond dozen i mean they're not a diamond dozen but there's a shitload of them um but in calgary i mean even in toronto i mean you don't you just don't see that you don't see an e30 m3 you just do not see them and you know my my, my experience calgary to toronto uh the only thing holding toronto back is the roads People, right. people would feel a lot better about driving these cars here if, if we didn't have the, the potholes, the rough roads, the narrow lanes that might lead into your rim hitting a curb. Oh, God. Uh, the, thing, things yeah. that just scare scare anybody uh, out of wanting to drive their, their, their Sunday puppy out of the garage. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, downtown is, is we won't even get into that because I feel like we should do a show just on the fucking roads in Toronto because they're obscene. They're so bad. I've ruined wheels. I have so many stories about that. Uh, we'll leave it for another day, but um, I agree that yeah, that is definitely holding Toronto back a lot. Uh, okay, so okay, so we've got the special cars now. Uh, GM uh, at the at Calgary, sorry, Calgary BMW, Calgary BMW, Calgary BMW. What's next? This is this is this is where I I had and anyone could get to the point of 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 running a store and climbing a, a ladder within the store, but this is where it got interesting. Uh, I I would look around and, and I, I thought, you know what, the, the first thing I need to do is start networking and find someone that would want to sell a dealership. As you were mentioning earlier, I always knew that I would want to get into that picture. I'm, I, I was always in a, in a race to do something better. And, and I always, you know, being a millennial thought I could do the job the guy above me had a little bit better than he could. <laughs> Don't perpetuate that for us. Yeah. <laughs> I, I won't, but I think it's, I think it's our strong point. And I honestly, yeah, I, do, I, I do, I do attribute a lot of, of how, I, how quickly I got to where I was to the fact I'm 32 for the record. I'm, I'm a, a dealer principal of a Kia dealership without any investors other than my wife owns my life. Uh, (laughs) No, but I mean, a moment needs to be spent on that. Now that's, you know, for me, um, for some of the people that I've, um, you know, that I really want to have on this show for a lot of the people that I deal with in my day-to-day life and, and me professionally, I I see a lot of the, I see a lot of dealers. I see, you know, not a huge network, but a, a reasonable sized network. What you've accomplished is incredibly commendable. Um, and, um, that should be, that should be noted because without, you know, outside investment, I mean, it's a great success story. If I, if I, if I was lucky enough to have something handed down to me, I mean, I certainly wouldn't have turned it down. Of course. Uh, yeah. They're, likewise. They're, likewise. They're, I mean, they, yeah. We can, we can all hate the people who had a little easier path than we did, but sure. in, in the end, we're all left trying to find our own. And, right. And uh, the reason you're here today talking to me, which is, you know, it's not for the sake of the show, but it is for the sake of what you've done in your career is that you know these things are are rare and and when they're rare like this um i like to know about them so mm-hmm. um okay so now you're on the hunt you're trying to find the dealership and now did you have a particular geographic boundary in mind in terms of you know where you would look or how you would look or when you would look um you know what what were the things that that influenced you when you were on this hunt well, and that, that's a good question at this point in my story because 
there's there's three parts to this networking financing and then the 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 awareness and knowledge of how buying a business works looking at financial statements and that's something i don't know that i can really explain in a short period <laughs> that's but, okay that's okay that's okay we'll, we'll go like the, all the high level stuff the, the 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 first part anyone needs to do is networking you need to be a student of your industry you meet people and, and, right. and get out there shake their hand and my dad always told me he he said you know leaf if you want something you have to let people know you want it right when you're in a sales department you want to be the sales manager you can't say i want to be the sales manager but you can suggest ideas and suggest things that you're essentially suggesting what a sales manager should, should suggest uh you have to let people know you want stuff and when i was when I, I i when i worked with calgary bmw and the bmw gallery was the smaller store i worked with prior to that uh there was uh there was a, i worked with a big dealer group the delari group uh they're they're right. they're very they're huge they're well huge. respected yeah. i think when i left them they were one 68 the stores in canada yeah. um they were bigger than auto canada which is one of their rivals and uh they they, they have a very unique and, and uh, classy way of doing doing business I, I i appreciate calgary bmw was was tony delari one of the sons of of the the uh man who started this uh, the the founded the company uh he ran a lot of the western canadian operations his office was out of my store and uh, no kidding I, I didn't know that I got to I got wow. to look at a lot of Tony and his meetings and, and talk with him and I, I got a lot of very close uh, information from him uh, his general manager Grant Keel who had been at that store for 31 years I was I was privy to a lot of stuff only out of interest and in the fact that I think he thought that he, he would like to tell me about it but I I, I got I, I let them know that I wanted to buy a dealership. They knew that I was fully disclosed, but they would keep me around because I worked my tail off to get, sure. get the job done and accomplish what I had to. And in, in exchange for my hard efforts, they would give me their information. And, and we would discuss things like, you know, dealerships, my, my boss Grant would, would show me financial statements and occasionally I wouldn't say this is something he did all the time, but he would pull out his financial statement and kind of tell me a little bit about how this is, if that number was high and that was important to me. Uh, and that, Get to peek behind the curtain a bit. A little bit. And that was a good segue to if you're going to buy a dealership, how would you look for it? And what would you do? And, sure. And, you know, my, my wife and I, from being from out west, we looked at a lot of rural Al Alberta stores, rural BC stores, because in, in, in being a young person, my, the next part I talk about financing, which is a hard thing as well, too. Uh, you're not exactly looking to build a $20 million store and house a, you know, a, a major brand in a major marketplace right in your first shot. Uh, that's not going to happen. So we looked at rural stuff. And as we looked around, we were able to, we weren't comfortable with the economics of it. Small market, high investment, a lot mm -hmm. of risk is the way I saw it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we, we, I mean, we would start to look at a little bit bigger markets and other stuff. And, you know, the one, the one thing that I liked about Toronto is there is still a lot of, because of the cost of land and everything in the inner city, underdeveloped stores in some of these major metro marketplaces because, I mean, in Toronto and Vancouver, it's almost the, 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 the price of commercial land in, in the interior has almost priced out a lot of dealerships. However, there's a lot of cheap leases still and it made sense because in the center city of Toronto, there's about two and a half million people that you have to sell cars to. So right. um, I, I suppose as we as we networked uh, and I talked to people, we, we gathered information about what, what would you have done? And I mean, being young, you should always ask what someone who's been there, what would you have done? And we, we managed to get, gauge a little bit of a profile. We weren't dead set on Toronto, but an opportunity came up that was referred to me and uh, we looked at it uh, and, and we got into the stage where we started making offers on it. 
that's where I had to come up with some financing and financing is actually the one barrier to entry that I think discourages a lot of people immediately. Yeah. They're like, well, I don't know when someone is going to lend me a couple or a few hundred thousand dollars. And I say <laughs> yeah. it like that because that might be all you really need to come up with to get into the right spot. Right. Uh, but financing stuff. I mean, I think a lot of people at my age are thinking like, where am I going to get my down payment from? Or how am I going to do this? And Sure. I mean, uh, a lot of people I would imagine are looking at it going, $30,000 is a lot of money. Like, how can I even find $30,000 for a down payment on a house, let alone the down payment on a fucking business? Um, so please enlighten us. When you, you really, and I, I guess I'll, I'll put it this way, you, you, you do need to have some money yourself, but hopefully out of the time you spend working in an industry, uh, I was lucky enough that I, I, I did well with some real estate. Calgary was a booming market and I was into a cheap house that I rented a basement out just like you early and uh, that, that was one of the best decisions I ever made. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Um, I, 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 I managed to gather a little bit of it from that, but then you have to find either an individual or a group who wants to lend you some money to make sure you have things going. There's a lot to consider, like not only do you have to buy the business from someone, but you also have to usually keep a few hundred thousand dollars in float in your bank account to be approved by a manufacturer uh, they also want to know that you 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 uh, have a bank on your side you have to find a bank who will finance a lot of this for you which the major banks are pretty good for that finding maybe a silent partner which the one thing and, and the inside information I found there's a lot of dealers out there that would like to just be a silent investor in a company interesting a, lo a lot of these dealers are looking to get out and you talk mm -hmm. to them and you say I'm looking to do this uh, if you talk to enough people, kind of like in sales calls, you call a hundred people, someone might come in the door and buy a car from you. Uh, a lot of these, a lot of these old guys, they they would happily lend you the starter money to get a bank on board, and then you're into it for a bank and someone else. But as long as you're looking at something you think you can turn a profit with, I mean, you you can you can be fine. Now, I mean, you're looking at someone else's books and hopefully someone that you trust. You don't want to be buying a business from someone you don't trust, but. If, you, if you've found some comfort in finding your financing, then you can then move on to starting to decide if you can afford the financing that you've, you've uh, initiated. And that comes down to looking at business plans. You know, the one thing, remember when George in college, they gave us a bunch of cooked up classes. Like they would talk about like- <laughs> There were a lot of them, yeah. Aftermarket products. Sure. And I remember some, some guy would sit, stand there and, and he would tell us a little bit about, well, there's OEM rims and then there's aftermarket rims. And mm -hmm. then there's an OEM, which we were all very familiar with at the time. Yeah, I mean, for our generation, it's yeah, easy. It's like, it's like, oh yeah, you kid, don't say. Yeah, you could put you could put something and it'll give me another fifteen horse instead of my airbox on there, and it's chrome with a colorful filter. <laughs> Sign me up, right? <laughs> right. Um, but uh, what they don't teach you is how to how to look at a financial statement. Uh, the variance in one dealership's financial statement to another's because it's every dealership. I mean, their statements would probably be as unique as the owner's fingerprint. Uh, there's very different ways of doing business. They're record keeping everything in terms of the way that they've established their business, or you know, like you said, their record keeping is that they're all different, right? Yeah, and they they would they would. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of different ways of accounting. Accounting, uh, accounting a statement when you have maybe three thousand different lines that you can adjust and, and manipulate and, and have different charges go through to. Uh, I mean, there's there's no one way to do it, uh, which means that it's very tough to 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 uh, orientate yourself with. And sure, to there, there isn't like a list. standardized process in place that every dealership uses, or you know, it's like it's like when we were you know, and for everyone who's listening, you know, Leaf and I went through the exact same program uh, at Georgian College, which is now called the Automotive Business School of Canada. 
I think both of us are very happy that we went through the program, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, there were some courses that may or may not have convinced us that the industry was standardizing. Um, and, and I think it may be painted a fairly rosy picture of it, um, from like the ADP and the Reynolds and Reynolds systems, um, to maybe something like dealership financial analysis. And you're like, Oh my God, dealership financial analysis is like being a private investigator, mm-hmm. you know, for you to be able to dig into those in th- those statements from a dealership to dealership, just like you said, you really have to understand every single dealership, their motives, who's involved and why they're doing what they're doing, because all of them, like you said, is very different. I mean, you, you pretty much have to figure out how to become a forensic accountant <laughs> yourself or at least right. speak the language and know what the forensic accountant you hire is to talk to. Sure. Um, through through the through the process of, of, of uh, making offers and going back and forth with the dealership, the, there was a dealer, the dealership I bought had been in business for 10 years prior. Uh, they ran it. It was two partners in the store, and they were both looking to settle down and back out of it. Um, I had to hire an accountant and a lawyer who, you know, to be honest, the best thing you can do, hire a good accountant, hire a good lawyer, have them coach and, and, and uh, right. you know, comment to where, where you might want to pay attention and what you might want to look at. Don't cheap out on lawyers and accountants. Uh, it'll it, it's it's like cheaping out on mayonnaise. It'll never taste good in the end. <laughs> it's like cheaping out on ketchup. There's only one. There really is. There is only. There really one. is. Although I found some stuff that's made in Toronto that's like spicy ketchup. Oh, that doesn't count. I love it. Doesn't grilled, count. It's not grilled the real cheese stuff. and spicy ketchup. It doesn't have the name Heinz <laughs> on it, or I suppose I should say French's now. But okay, so now, um, so now that you have uh, you have your store. And I think it needs to be stated for the record because I don't think we've touched on it necessarily yet. Is um, the name of your dealership, which is West Toronto Kia? Shameless plug. Toronto's very friendly, family-owned Kia dealership. We would love to uh, at least ex- explain, help, and and guide you on your Kia process. That's it. That's all you get. That's all you get on it. <laughs> um, that is um, that is uh, it, that is Leaf Store. It's now here in Toronto. Uh, it's located at. We're at two four four St Clair Avenue West. Essentially, we're north of High Park on St Clair Avenue. We're in the West End. Very cool. Yeah, that's uh, that's not not far at all from here. Um, so now that you've done it, you've got your store. You've been operating for how long? Uh, we've literally just been in effectively over a year at this point. Amazing. So if if you had, let's call it like your top three things that you've learned not necessarily like things that you would have done differently but top three things that you've learned or top three things that you found to be surprising or uh, valuable for you at this point what would you say they are is that you I mean I don't think a lot of people are ever going to get to this point where they own a dealership and they're at this stage in their life or at the stage in their career but now that you have it what are those what are those three things you know I suppose I suppose um learning how to talk to people was one of the most important things. Uh, once, once you take that step where you're not the front facing, uh, member of a company and, and you're, 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 you're dealing with other people. i never, I never described anyone as anyone's boss. I always think we're all just different cogs in a wheel trying to give each other the tools to do their job. Uh, you have to learn how to talk to people. And, and, uh, you know, I, I think everyone can relate to having weird personalities they've worked with before. Someone who just tries to sure. over you, someone who's constantly not doing what they're supposed to or thinking of the detail. I mean, you have to figure out people and how to motivate them. And, uh, that's a that's a hard thing to do, and there's no one one blanket rule that would affect it. Uh, 
learning people and how to deal with people was was a big one. Uh, that that was something I and I thought I did before, but right. I didn't. I didn't really. It's an evolving process, and I you know I I think that you just have to listen, uh, listen and try and help. And so, I mean, it, it sounds like you know it's such an evolution from what you were doing is, is, is knowing that the people that you hire, the people that you surround yourself with are, are, you know, it's, 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 it's not new news to be able to say that they're the most important people that are in your organization. But, um, as you've started to learn more about each of these people, you're starting to learn more about each of the roles within your organization. Um, have you found that, uh, have you had to be the tough boss? Have you had to be the person that says, you know what, right now, you're just not you're just not seeing what I see in this company. I mean, there's there's lots of I mean, in the car business, we have lots of one liners like fire quick, hire slow, things yeah. like that. And, OK, you know, I, I, I there are times where you have to make some tough decisions and you have to guide people into their own careers. I, I, I'm an empathetic person. My mom ruined me that way. I suppose. <laughs> uh, you know, she's she's a she's a wonderful lady and always thought of other people first. It stuck with me a little bit. I would look at someone who maybe was the they're in the wrong seat on the wrong bus and i always i always found and especially with when i was with the delari group uh, i always found that people in managing people it wasn't about just forcing people to do it your way it was it was about maybe trying to look at a do they know how to do their job do they have what they need to do their job and do they get enough attention to do that and if if you've if you've given someone the tools to do their job you've given them the 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 right education to do their job and and told them they know how clearly how it's expected they do their job and then they're still not able it's either a personality thing or it's an attitude thing probably sure i'm generalizing but probably past that yeah once it's a personality issue or it's an attitude issue those are hard things to change and you know i like to think kind of like you know, Dion Phaneuf playing for the Calgary Flames, you know, you get a bad attitude. Maybe, maybe he did or didn't sleep with Craig Conroy, his teammate's <laughs> wife and have to go to the Toronto Maple Leafs. But uh, sometimes a change of pace can be sure. a wonderful thing for someone and refreshing and someone who wasn't performing before moves over to another area. I always describe car dealerships as hockey teams. And, you know, you can be on Team Toyota, not do that well because of the system they have. And then all of a sudden you go to Team Jaguar and you light it up. You start selling cars like fire. And it's, it's because you're there's an environment and there's there's a right place for everyone and i was lucky enough to find some of my right places but you know ultimately people and managing people is is if you if you can manage people and you can take a team and you can get success from them you can make them perform to their best uh it's a really universal language and and you know that, that's one of the the most important lessons that i think anyone has to learn i don't know if everyone can't learn it it's 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 not necessarily an applied concept you just experience and it happens totally get that okay so people clearly so important to an organization um they're the face of your business right so um what have you got after that you don't even have to go three how about just two just what, what's the yeah. other what would well, you say I mean, is the, the, other, the, the other big one is why i like hanging out with you so much trevor i mean you have to be a car guy you yeah. you, you honestly yeah. to be in the car industry that's like saying you know what i'm going to be an editor for vogue magazine but i kind of hate clothes <laughs> i like car hearts and timberlands right 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 uh, yeah, which yeah. actually are are, are, are you know a, a fashionable item every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. but you have to like cars you have to have mm-hmm. a mindset for cars mm-hmm. i found one of the most powerful mm-hmm. things because we're all i mean we're a retail dealership People come in, they want to buy a car, they want to service it, and they like help, and they like us to be friendly, and, and they want that because we should like what we're doing. But 
if you know cars, you seem to have a better way of guiding people through a process. You can be like, well, if you considered a hatchback, have you considered a subcompact minivan? Or, you know, if you, if you like, if you really like SUVs, I mean, the true test of a salesman is, can you talk someone out of an all wheel drive SUV and into a front wheel drive minivan when you can tell that they would probably appreciate function more than they would that perceived rugged terrainness of an sure, SUV. Sure. And you're like you drive to the hockey rink on Sundays and that's as far as you ever go. Do you really need all wheel drive in the city if you put four winter tires on that thing? Uh, I mean cuz Trevor, I'm in a similar place to you. I have a 2-year-old at home. <laughs> I can tell you right now, minivans, they're my number one. Kia Sedona is like the best minivan <laughs> I've been in a long time. But I will say the the, the the function, I mean it's one of those vehicles. It's 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 heralded as like the least cool thing you It is. Drive. I I, and I hate to say it, I mean, I, I've, I've told myself, I've told my wife, I've told everyone that I know that if they ever find me in a minivan, they know that I've just given up on everything. And it's not as a, it's not a matter of fact in terms of like not loving a minivan because I do love the functionality of something like that. But for me, and as a car guy, which I'm sure you can appreciate as well, is that I would just make so many other choices. You know, I've, I've thought about how I would fit I know Porsche makes a car seat for the back of a 911 now, but I've thought about it a lot, how I would work these things, but there really, there is no replacement for the function of tossing a couple strollers, couple car seats, and some more people in the back of your minivan comfortably and arrive and not have that much hassle getting out. I just, I I agree. I just couldn't ever bring myself to doing it. (laughs) I mean, if it's any consolation, I pull up in the back of the parking lot. I don't want people to see me at the door necessarily, but <laughs> but it you is know easy. when somebody needs a ride, you're on it. It is easy, and I'm talking at one side of my mouth because in the other side of my mouth, I, I I always like to keep something small, quick, and with two doors in my garage, anyways. So that's the way uh, to do it. A little bit of balance. <laughs> uh, and on that, I'm gonna say, leave. Thank you so much for being a part of the show tonight. Um, I, you know, like I said, it's been a long time coming to get you here. I'm so happy you're in Toronto. I'm so happy that your business is doing well here. Uh, I hope that you'll come back and be a guest soon again, because we're going to talk about a lot of different things. And now that we've figured out what it takes to get into a dealership and own a dealership and the perseverance and all of the little tips and tricks that you've given us over the course of this episode, uh, I feel like we're probably going to be able to talk about some really nerdy car shit them very soon <laughs> definitely definitely and thank you very much for having me I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this and if, if any of your listeners out there have have questions or further information you know please get a hold of trevor he'll yeah, get yeah. in touch with me and Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm always happy to 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 offer offer some experience of mine and, and advice if i can right and so for me my plugs are uh on twitter uh i'm at the bucket seat um, my uh, my site itself is the thebucketseat.ca. Yes, it's very Canadian. You can find me on Shout Engine on Shout Engine. My podcast is there, or just Google it. The podcast, sorry, my the podcast is really easy to find. You type in the Bucket Seat Podcast, you'll find this show. Uh, if you have any uh, hesitation in doing that, um, you know, just don't. Just go check it out. There's a bunch of episodes. We're gonna have a bunch more. We're gonna have some really fun times with this. Leaf, uh, plug the story. And where can we find you? Can we find you on Facebook? Can we find you on Twitter? Can we find you on YouTube? Where can we find you? If you got any questions that we can help with, Kia related or not, you can find us at, at West Toronto Kia on Twitter. We're uh, Facebook.com/slash West Toronto Kia or our website WestTorontoKia.ca. Uh, I'm on the website. My personal email is on there if you'd love to get in touch with me uh, please do so
That's Leif Sorensen at West Toronto Kia. Uh, thank you again, Leif. I uh, look forward to having you back on the show and uh, happy sales in the meantime. Thanks, Trevor. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Catch us on episode six. We don't even know what it's going to be yet, but stay tuned because it's going to be something really fucking fun.